You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1166 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. Stop right now. If you've not heard part one of this podcast, check it out in this same feed. But this is part two of today's show with Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops. We talk about all kinds of trade stuff in part one, as well as some Hawks-Kings preview content for Wednesday's game. So go back and listen to that if you've missed it. Trey Young's Easter Cox Player of the Week, etc. All covered in that show. On this part two, we'll be talking about all of the current stuff from the Hawks team on the floor, from defense to shooting guard, rotation stuff, to the return of DeAndre Hunter, to how the bigs will be integrated, all that fun stuff on this show, as well as a projection looking forward at the end of the podcast about the playoffs, etc. with Andrew Kelly and myself. Without further delay, here is myself and Andrew. Again, this is part two, and we'll be wrapping it up at the end of the show. Okay, Andrew, we are back for part two of a two-part podcast, and we didn't stop recording, so thank you for staying with me through that break. Um, we talked about Bogdanovich and sort of the uh, what the Hawks might do on the, on the margins. It's sort of a good bridge to get into like what the Hawks actually are right now on the court. You know, The trade stuff dominates the conversation this time of year, but the Hawks are on this nice run. They've won four games in a row. And there's still a team that has real aspirations. They're not um, packing it in. They want to make a deep run in the playoffs, et cetera. And you talk about Bogey's defense, and they've been good without him. They've been good without Reddish this year. It's something that I've not – I've tried purposely not to pick on this too much, but, you know, the Hawks have been really good without Reddish even when he was on the team this year, uh, which is not maybe – it's not fully coincidental that those guys have been out. And if you look at some of the worst laps that the Hawks have been playing in terms of on-off splits – they kind of almost all without fail include either Reddish or Bogdanovich or both. So maybe that's part of this too. But Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't I don't think it's just a coincidence. I mean, if you take, you know, Reddish was a clear negative. I mean, Bogdanovich has been a negative this year. If they're both out of the rotation, that means more minutes are going to guys like Herder and Hunter and Wright, and you're probably getting better play for that. Yeah, I mean... You talked about Bogdanovich at the end of last the last show, and I, I am the first to know this. I know you agree. We talked about it in different ways, but Bogdanovich was one of the big reasons why they made their run last year, and that can't be discounted. Like he really went ballistic in the second half of last year. Not only just the shooting; the shooting was incredible. I think he was second, really, to only Steph Curry in terms of three point volume and accuracy in the second half of last year. He was hunting a shot. He was firing away. He was secondary ball handling for them. He had more juice. Uh, it might be the knee. And as we as we record this actually list, it's probable for Wednesday, which is, I guess, a good sign in terms of him getting closer to be, being able to, to return to the floor. But uh, he's been a step slow this year on both ends of the floor, but it shows up more on defense, like you said, in, at the end of part one. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, how much of that and how much the issues on the perimeter in general have really been the emphasis, because I've, I've been saying all year long, the defensive problems start it's not all of them they start on the perimeter and i think that really um a lot of that if you want to factor it in you know trey's always going to be part of it maybe lou williams will be as well but i think if you look at like the differences between the perimeter guys from last year to this year i would circle Bogdanovich and reddish even on defense as like guys who got notably worse and obviously cam's not going to be there anymore but uh you know herder and herder's not fantastic but he's fine defensively and hunter being back is also helpful but defensively like it's been a mess is that the reason for you or we that is that a big reason for you or is that uh, am i overstating that a little bit no i mean I, I think we're on the same page um yeah going back to like the last show that we talked about with bugdanovich he's really the guy that 
I would kind of look to see if there's something out there for him. Um, defensively, just getting Hunter back obviously makes a huge impact. Um, and just Bogdanovich is, uh, he was really hurting them, you know, and, and you're, you're also getting Herter back into a, uh, a more complimentary role where he's working as like, you know, the secondary defender on the wings versus the primary. I think that helps him offensively too. Um, so you're just starting to see more pieces start to come together for them defensively. And then a couple guys that were hurting them and, and Reddish and Bogdanovich are no longer uh, hurting them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, there's this everlasting debate about Herter and Bogdanovich um, and who should start and all this. And I, people end up shooting the messenger a lot with this when I say this, but I'm going to say it just for some context, as I've said it before. Uh, one of the reasons why Bogdanovich started last year was because he did not enjoy coming off the bench. And he was a guy that signed a four-year deal uh, for big money and was, I think, at least assuming, maybe he, I'm not sure he was promised it, but he was certainly assuming he was going to start and play big minutes. And then he suddenly wasn't. And he was off the bench and he didn't like that role. And, we, and when he started, he was playing better and the Hawks went on their run. So uh, there's some political stuff in play here. I've also said a number of times that Herter's been their best wing this year. Like you could certainly say Hunter's upside is higher and Hunter's been good since he came back. And um, he might be the best wing they have. But in terms of overall value this year, it's not even close. It's been Herter both from availability and play. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen on Wednesday with Bogdanovich potentially returning. But are you in the start herder until you can't start him anymore camp? Or would you think about going back to Bogdanovich? Because I think it's not as easy as Hawks might think it is because of the political aspects and Bogdanovich's contract, et cetera. But Herder's been the better player this year. Yeah, I think strictly as far as on-court play, I, I do go Herder there. I mean, if you look at lineups with Trey and Herder, they have a plus 4.4 net rating over 877 minutes per PVP stats. Um, they have 120 offensive rating. He's just played well with Trey. Um, having that secondary creator outlet, I think, is just a nice asset to have with Trey. And he's clearly a better defender at this point than Bogdanovich. Um, he's just having the best efficiency of his career, too. Um, he's scoring about uh, one point per possession, shooting off the dribble. So that's 76 percentile. Uh, something I thought was interesting, too, is he's actually shooting 72 percent at the rim this year. I mean, he doesn't get there a ton. Like, it's only 16% of his shots. But that's part of why he's been more efficient overall is he's scoring so well at the rim. And he's continued to play very well from mid-range, too. I mean, he's shooting 49% from mid-range, 89th percentile. Uh, last year, he was at 48%, so he's carried that over. Um, he's just starting to become, you know, a more versatile offensive threat, too. And it's been nice to see. And when you look at it, too, like, they, they paid him, obviously, in the offseason. So they had that investment for him. Um, he's somebody that I just think from a continuity standpoint, the way the team's looked uh, lately, I, I think I would continue to roll with him. Um, you mentioned, though, that like from the political side, I mean, um, you'd have to obviously sell Bogdanovich on coming off the bench. I'm not sure how you know amicable he'd be towards that. So that might we'll be see. something you have to, to figure <laughs> out. I mean, yeah. obviously, McMillan likes to play vets, too. Um, so from, when you consider how good Bogey was last year, too, it's just, you know, it, it it's a disruption to the hierarchy, you know. Um, so it's, it's hard to really make a call as to what I think will happen. But personally, I, th I think I would go Herder. Yeah. And what I always say is that I don't really care who starts as long as you can play guys enough minutes and who closes is more important than who starts. And I'll be consistent with that here. Like, I don't think it's the end of the world if they start Bogdanovich again. But I do think that from this season alone, Herter has been a notably better player than Bogdanovich. That may not continue. You know, Bogey might have the juice back when he returns. I'm not ruling that out. But if he is going to be the guy he's been this year, that's a big if. But if he is, 
he's just not as good as her. And that is just kind of the reality of the situation. So uh, you have to adjust for that. You know, Don Mitch is still under contract for two more seasons. You know, last year's a player option, but if he's struggling, then he'll probably pick it up and we can get to that later. But they have some uh, interesting decisions to make because I think you mentioned it a second with the two-man lineups, but basically all the best three-man groups this year involve Herter, uh, Capella, Collins, and Young. But those four guys, you know, obviously the big three of Young, Collins, and Capella have been their, have been their three best players for the last two years. So that's not a huge surprise, but Herter is also a common component in their good lineups this season. And I pulled it today. The Hawks are 11.8 points per 100 possessions better with, with her on the floor than when he's off the floor. And that's not gospel. That doesn't mean that he's the only reason why that's the case, but they, you know, they've been much better when he plays this year. He fits well with Trey. He's willing to play off of Trey. And they did find some interesting um, juice last year with Bogey staggering with Trey late in the season. And I wonder if you just like, Maybe that's the way to sell Bogdanovich is to just like, all right, Bogey, the second unit is yeah. going to be yours. Like maybe that's what you do. I don't know if that's going to work, but you know, Lou, you know, Nate's been very big on kind of giving the second unit to certain people. And right now, at least this year, it's been Gallo especially, but also Lou and Gallo. And he kind of talks about those guys as a pairing. I wonder if you can turn that into, you know, Bogey's the guy on the second unit, and maybe you play through Bogey and Gallo and uh, etc. Now with Lou around that's less likely to be the case maybe because uh, having Lou and bogey play together a lot. is not my, not my favorite idea in the world, but maybe that's a way that you tweak it. If you want to get her more minutes is to just kind of have bogey be the second unit guy. Yeah. And I agree. And I think he, he works well at the line, right. Too. I think that's a pretty natural, like, that is a good reserve, pair. I agree. Reserve, yeah. like guard pairing. And I think, you know, you could try to sell them on that and just say, you know, Hey, if you, we're going to, we're going to play you like this for the rest of the season, you know, and try to make our playoff push. And then if, if you think that, you know, you still want to go be a starter, maybe we can find a team where that makes sense. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. I think something that you could look at. I, I could definitely see. They could certainly move uh, uh, Yeah. It wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't stun yeah, me. And, I mean, and you're, I think you're about to say it actually, but Travis has been willing to do yeah, solid exactly. for guys. Uh, uh, so if bogey just like, look, like I do not want to come off the bench that, and maybe like a Reddish situation where I'm not saying yeah. that he's going to ask to be traded. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's conceivable to me, but I'm not saying it's going to happen, but Travis has been willing when it's okay for the team. And he even said the same thing about, about the cam trade and people kind of overlooked that, but um, it wasn't like, okay, we'll trade you cam. It was like, okay, we'll trade you cam. If we can find a deal that makes sense for us. And that might be yeah. something they do here. So that's three yeah, steps ahead and, for and sure. I think but, that's how you can frame it. Yeah. Just like, you yeah. know, Hey, we'll, we'll let you run the second unit. So you're still contributing a lot of value. And then, you know, after the season, if you don't think this is right, then maybe we find, you know, something that works better for you. Um, but yeah, who, who knows how that's going to work out. Um, it's clearly very murky. Um, just in knowing the way Nate works too, it, I don't think it would surprise anyone at all if, if Bogdanovich is injected right back into the starting lineup as soon as he's able to, you know, have a full minutes allocation. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a tenuous situation. We'll have more with myself and Andrew Kelly in a moment, but first a word from our sponsors on the show today. And the first of which is prize picks. Attention Hawks fans, you've been hearing me talk about prize picks for months now. Have you signed up yet? If you haven't, now is the perfect time. For a limited time, prize picks is exclusive, no brainer of an offer for all of our users. They get $50 free. Yes, users get $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point, but only if you use the promo code NBA. That's right, it's an exclusive offer available for all locked on fans, only if you use the promo code NBA. PrizePix is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as the bench guys who only record a handful of minutes each and every game. PrizePix offers any prop you can think of, from points to assists to rebounds, three-pointers, etc. You pick two to five players and overrun on their projections. You can win up to ten times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. 
There are also mixed sports entries on prize picks. You can take the over on Trey Young, combine with the under on your favorite football players in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play right now. Prize picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Go to prizepicks.com today or use the App Store and download the app. All users that use that deposit promo code of NBA will get $50 free on your first PrizePix entry if you score a single point. One more time, all users that deposit using the promo code NBA will get $50 free on your first PrizePix entry if, you, if they score a single point. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. So from here, I want to ask you, we talked about Hunter a little bit, but I think it's worth kind of staying on this a little bit because, you know, the Hawks might as we record this, we don't, we don't know this. The Hawks might have their full roster available for the first time all season on Wednesday. If everybody plays that's listed as questionable or higher, they'll actually have everybody available, and that includes Hunter. Um, and he's only, he's only played 18 games. We talked about him in the, in the trade segment on, on part one, but this is a broad question, but it's probably better this way. How, how much of a difference maker do you think he is in his current form? There's always, there's always this talk about like what he could be, and that's worth talking about. But right now, this year, year three, DeAndre Hunter, if healthy – is he gonna? Is he enough to change the team's fortunes? Like, I'm not saying he's gonna be the best part of the team or anything like that, but like, how much of a difference maker actually is he right now? I think he's a pretty big difference maker. I mean, if you just look over the last five games, and obviously this is a small sample, but when he started to play like real starter minutes, you know, 34, 35 minutes per game, I mean, they're 15th in defensive rating, and this has been a pretty tough schedule as far as I mean, I know uh, Jimmy Butler and all that. Like, it hasn't been quite the full strength for some of these teams, but I, I think when you look at way, how 15th, 15th is just fine with them. They, they will take yeah, 15th and run. I'll tell you that yeah, right now. Exactly. <laughs> if you're getting, if you're getting like, you know, break even kind of play on defense with as good as the offense is, then, you know, you're very happy with that, you know, passable on one end of the floor and a lead on another end of the floor is a good way to, to build a strong team. Um, so I think that he does make a big difference. I mean, just his versatility. Um, yeah. It, I, he's someone that, again, you know, going back to our trade conversations, it would be so hard to get him away. You know, I, I think you'd have to you'd have to really be getting a star before you consider sending him out. Um, but I'll be interested to see how well this play can sustain defensively if it's just you know you know restricted to this five game sample. But it does seem that when you have Capella and you have a Congo given you you know a strong forty eight minutes at the center, and then you have a defender like Hunter to go along with that, it just seems like their defensive architecture is so much better than it was. You know, and then you start to remove. Um, guys that were harmful, like Reddish um, from the rotation. Uh, Wright, I think, has also been playing well. Um, you can just kind of see the team starting to come together a little bit defensively, and Hunter, I think, is the biggest part of that. I agree, and I think it's not that we forget this, but it was much more of a talking point two years ago. But when Travis Slank was building this team around Trey Young, there was a reason he decided to take two six eight wings in the same draft. He knows yeah. that he knows that you have to have those guys, particularly. I mean, every every team wants those guys. Every team would want DeAndre Hunter, but especially when you have Trey Young, you just need guys that can be two way guys in the wing. You just have to have that. That's why Herter's improvement defensively has been so big. Not that he's a lockdown guy, but he's now average on defense, and that is a if he if he had been the guy that we thought he might be early in his career, which is just like this frail, super soft defender that wasn't going to be very good. That's untenable. And we've seen that this, by the way, this year has been on display. When you pair Trey and Bogey, the results are terrible defensively because Bogey's not been an average defender this year. He's been a, a point of being attacked. And if you have Trey plus another guy that can be attacked, you're in deep trouble. So Hunter's ascension definitely helps you there. I think that um, I'll be interested to see what his offensive shot profile looks like. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole all the way, but he's always kind of taking a little bit more long twos than people would want. 
um, not gotten to the rim as much, not been as effective as, at the rim as much. Um, but his, his jumper's going in this year. That's a good sign. I mean, he's shooting like almost 40% from three. I'm not sure he's that that kind of shooter, but I think he's uh, safely going to be a pretty good shooter, which really helps. And then the defense, I mean, it's not just Hunter, but now that they have Hunter, Capella, and Kongwu on the floor together, not necessarily together, together with all three of them, but two of those guys together, Hunter with a true good defensive player at center, plus like guys yeah. like Wright, guys like Collins, who are at least, you know, average or better defenders, that's a better infrastructure because you're not playing guys that are killing you. I mean, I know I'm the, yeah. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the DeLon Wright guy, but it's not a coincidence either to me that they're playing, that, you know, when playing DeLon Wright 30 minutes a game the last right. two weeks, it's the results have been pretty good. Not that he's the reason, but he doesn't get you killed. Right. And it's, it's not strictly about Hunter's play. Like you're kind of, you know, insinuating it's, it's that you're not, you know, using Kevin Herter as your primary wing defender. You're not playing, yep. you know, Timothy Lawalu a lot. Like just, you know, replacing those minutes with Hunter is just huge, you know, not just for his play, but just that you're not allocating so many minutes to, to those guys for, you know, suboptimal defensive roles. Um, but yeah, I mean, offensively, um, he's got 32 pick and roll ball handler possessions, which is more than I thought when I was, when I was looking at the numbers before this and he's scoring a point per possession on him. So he's, he's scoring, you know, 87th percentile from pick and roll. Um, I mentioned earlier, I think his handle is just not quite there, which makes a lot of sense yeah. because he wasn't able to use his right hand. And I think that was a big part of his development last year. And it's, he's not scoring well at the rim. Like that's, that's really been the big issue there. Um, but you know, 40%, uh, 40% of his shots for, from mid range and he's shooting 48% of them. Um, that's not quite as efficient as he was last year, but that's still 77th percentile. So it's still good overall. Um, I think it's good to see that he's, you know, even if he's not, you know, cream of the crop mid-range shooter like he was last year on a small sample he's still very good there he's still efficient um and he's still i think has more room to grow as he starts to get more decisive um so i think offensively you know i don't know how well the you know 39 percent 40 percent you know from three is going to hold up but he's looked more confident than i thought um i remember at the start of the season like i thought he hesitated a little bit on some of his uh three-point attempts like catch and shoot attempts i think he's looked Agreed. more confident recently um so i think there's a lot to like you know i mean it, he's always been someone too, where I think if you kind of project down the line, you can see how he can start to take on more usage, especially at the end of the games, just to have, you know, an alternate closing option, I think is important when teams just really start to come at Trey, having someone like Hunter, he's got to improve his passing. You know, I think that's something that is going to be a key growth area for him. He doesn't get, you know, a lot of assists. And I think he can be kind of mechanical in his read sometimes. So if he can kind of develop that part of his game and start to become, you know, someone that you can really trust, you know, uh, for clutch minutes in the last two minutes of the game, that'll be a big part of his offensive development. But overall, I just think he's such a good offensive fit with Trey, you know, not, you know, not the same thing even about the defense, just offensively, he makes a lot of sense. He's someone that I think could be really good off the catch, you know? And I think when you start to build a Trey young team, you're looking for perimeter players that are just very good at operating off the catch, you know, that, you know, find space in the corners to get open for a Trey young assist. And then you get in a one-on-one situation where, you know, you have a tilted defense and there's a lot that you can do from that. And Hunter's just well, you know, well equipped to, to hurt you there. And he can isolate as well. Um, so I think he, like I said, he's got to develop the passing. He's got to get better at the rim, but overall, you know, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing. He looks better than I thought he would, honestly, you know, for the, for the long layoff. For sure. I'm glad you mentioned the passing because, you know, I used to point this out about Reddish too. Uh, and he has more turnovers and assists and that's not everything, but Hunter is not a good passer for a wing right now. And that's not like a, that's not me picking on him. I think it's just, that's just the case. If you're trying to find a weakness of his on offense, that's, that's it. And it's kind of always been the case, even in college, he just was not, he did not profile as someone who's going to be a high end ball mover. And I think you're just looking for incremental, incremental improvement there. Like 
kind of what happened with Collins, honestly, where like you go from being right. a pretty bad passer to being an adequate passer. Average. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what you want for Hunter. I don't think he's ever going to be a great passer on the wing, but he doesn't have to be. Just kind of be more of a ball mover. You mentioned attacking off the catch is really important to like being decisive because, yeah, if you look at the tight at, at the tape from earlier this season when he was struggling on offense and we talked about it behind, behind, behind the scenes and also maybe even uh, in front of the scenes about like he was hurting their offense early in the season. I think that was pretty much that was, that was yeah. pretty clear if you watched them. Yeah, definitely. Like he was not playing well offensively in his first stint before he got hurt, and the, and this second stint he's been much more decisive, um, more I would say more aggressive too. But just don't stop the ball, like especially when Trey's on the floor. Like you don't need to, we don't need your ISOs here. We we need you to be that secondary. You know, definitely attack when you have, when you have an advantage, but um, you know, shoot threes off the catch and also attack the rim when you can. And um, yeah, I've seen really. I, I think he's been playing quite well. And if they get this, if they get this guy this season. That's just a huge development because of who he's replacing, because of what they need. Yeah, and it's not a coincidence. Um, and I also think too, like just quickly, like, yeah, I, I think Herter, I think Herter also just like compliments him very well too, because he's such a good decision maker and he he makes really quick, uh, real, really quick reads. It's nice to have that kind of between you know Trey and Hunter because Hunter doesn't quite have the playmaking and uh, you know Herter's just so good at linking up plays and I think that works really well with Hunter's game. Yeah, th- those three guys do fit really well together like the numbers on those guys playing together for multiple seasons have all been good for the most part i'm trying to find out as we're talking and i'm doing a bad job of finding it um there you go uh yeah i mean it's, it's a little bit they've actually played like 190 minutes together this year but the results are pretty good and um they do fit very well uh together on both ends of the floor honestly um one thing i want to make sure we get to because uh he's your guy is uh the resurgence of danilo gallinari as a, uh, a guy who's been playing much better in the month of January after a pretty objectively slow start. I know you are a big Gallo guy, but even you'd acknowledge he was not very good early in the season. Um, but he's been better, and because you're here and uh, he's your guy, I have to give you the floor to talk about Gallo because he's really helped them for the last, like, three weeks. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny you introduced me as this guy. I think I'm definitely been a long-time fan of Gallinari. Um, I think a lot of it too is just like his burst looks a little bit better to me and he's not settling as much for like these really long, you know, taking seven seconds off the shot clock to take like a a 14 footer. He's trying to get to the rim a little bit more. He's even had like some dunks. So he just seems like he's moving a little bit better. I mean, you and me, Brad, we're both old guys. We're both, you know, in our thirties. So we we (laughs) can kind of relate to him on some level as far as like taking some time to get going. It's, It's just kind of funny that he's maybe doing what he did last year where he starts to come online at the midseason point and then starts to become a key rotation player. But right now, I mean, he's important for them, you know, just having that, that spacing option when you have bigs like Capella and a Kongwu is very important. I think he's really nice for a Kongwu's development just to have more space for him to operate. Um, I, I think that's a nice asset to have. And yeah, he's, he's starting to become, you know, a positive contributor to the rotation. It'll be fascinating too, to see if he, you know, if, if he continues to build on this play and plays well through the end of the season, what they do with him, because you know, if you were to end the season strong, you could you could make the argument that hey, you know, you can't really replace a player with the you know with the kind of cap situation that they'll have. Maybe they just pick it up, you know, to pick up his deal next year and you know let it run out as opposed to just waving him, you know, for the five million dead cap hit. So that'll be interesting to monitor. But yeah, it has been good to see him playing well lately. I had to give you the opportunity to praise Gallo on this podcast because uh, that'd be just a bit, it'd be, it'd be a waste if we didn't <laughs> well, do that. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, all right, before I get you with one more topic, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and then we'll close up talking about the uh, the future of the rest of the season. Talks. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions are in full swing. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in that plan. 
Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it unlike protein bars and some other corners of the market that can be chalky or waxy. Built Bar tastes fantastic. Sometimes it's just boring to eat healthy, and by week three of eating healthy, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where is the chocolate? But with Built Bar, every bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes on your home, or your pantry, or in the office, or in your car, wherever you might be hiding something sweet. Throw out all that sugary or calorie-filled treats, and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's absolutely healthy and tastes incredible with Built Bar. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And that way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. As always, there are amazing flavors to choose from, from coconut almond to peanut butter brownie, raspberry, salted caramel, mint brownie, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. And beyond that, Built is all coming out with new limited time flavors. Check out Built.com often to see what's coming up. And right now, you can go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your order at Built.com. All right, Andrew, we'll get out of here, and I appreciate all the time. But I uh, sort of, to put a bow on all of this, I have to ask you about, like, what this looks like, because I'm not going to, like, put you on the spot for a win total unless you want to give one. But the Hawks 21-25, as we're recording this, um, every other question that's not about trades to me right now is, like, can the Hawks make the playoffs? Will they make the playoffs? Can they avoid the play-in? All of those fun questions. Um, let's assume that they have relative health. Nobody's going to be super, like 100% healthy probably. But right now they're kind of healthy. And I'm wondering what you make of this team now because for a lot of season they really struggled and they got behind the eight ball. But as they did last year, they seem to be kind of turning the corner. I think it's too early to say that they're definitely, that they're definitely doing that, but there are some positive signs too. So like, where, where's your head at with this team as far as the season is concerned? Like trade stuff is going to be bubbling for sure, but let's say they keep the team together. Is this a team that's going to make another run? Not like, not like last year necessarily, but can they make the playoffs? Can they climb into the top seven or eight um, after digging themselves a hole? I think the play-in is probably like the safest projection. I mean, they're pretty far out of the six seed, so they would have to get pretty incredibly hot. It's probably get some help too. The East is just better this year to to finish above it. Not saying they can't, but they need to really play well. But I do expect them to be a play-in team. And for as bad as they've been to this point, you can kind of excuse part of it. I mean, December, they just got wiped out by COVID. I mean, and they really did their best to, to field a team, you know, each game and just were essentially forfeiting games for a period of time. And then when you look at the absences, you can talk yourself into, you know, hey, when we have DeAndre Hunter, this is a pretty good team, you know, that he makes a big difference for us. When we have a Congo and we have this very, very good center rotation, then that's a big deal for us. When we have Gallinari playing well, that helps a lot. Um, we're starting to get good backup guard play from DeLon Wright. That's big. Uh, there's just a lot of things that I think are trending in the right direction that can make you optimistic about the team um, to the point that I don't feel like they need to do something, you know, panicky at the, at the deadline. Like I said, you know, if we talked about if you can get a star, sure, you, you know, go ahead and push some chips in. But otherwise, I would probably look for, you know, smaller type moves. I'd like to get another forward. If you can find, you know, Derek White's a big guy for me. You know, if you can make some kind of deal with him and oh, Baldana. I don't know like about Derek at. White. I, don't yeah, know, I know. Forget. I, I was hoping it would come up, man. I, I that's my fault. To be in there. <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> your, that, that's your other guy, Derek White, that you have to get, you have to go out and trade. If, yeah, it, can't be, if like, it can't be De'Anthony Milton, because they're not, they're yeah. not going to sell. Memphis is not going to sell. Smart and Derek White. Melton, those are you know, all, defensive by the way, they're all very that, similar players in some respects. Yeah, so, interesting <laughs> defensive guards that don't shoot that well, but are good passers. Yeah, he's somebody that I would look at. Um, you know, kind of medium 
you know, size moves just because I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism with the young guys and they fit well together as we've discussed. So I don't feel like they need to make a major move. They can kind of, you know, play it out and see how it goes, get more information about how guys like Herder look in the starting lineup, you know, how is Hunter looking, you know, and then you can, you, can, you have more information and make decisions in the off season. Um, so I would try to keep things probably relatively small. If you could get like a forward, I really like Jay Sean Tate from uh, Houston. If he's somebody they could look at for the right deal, I think would be interesting. Uh, Kendrick Williams in Oklahoma city. I think it's somebody else that could help them. Just somebody else in the rotation. That's not, you know, the wall or someone like that as your ninth or 10th man, I think would help. Um, but yeah, I would say I'm pretty optimistic. A lot of it just really becomes, you know, it comes down to like Hunter's viability. If he gets hurt again, that's probably going to be a wrap for them this year, but if he can stay healthy, then I think you have to like the team. Yeah. We're on the same page. You know, I answered this question before the wing streak actually on a mailbag show. I was like, if somebody asked me if they're gonna make the plan and I was like, well, yeah, even right now, I think they were 18 and 25 when I answered. And I was like, if you made a guess right now, I would still say they make the plan. And I wasn't yeah. like, I wasn't guaranteeing it, but if you look, if you look, if you look at who's ahead of them, we don't have to do a whole breakdown of these teams, but like, I believe they're better than the Knicks. I believe they're better than the Wizards. Um, yeah. I, I think they're probably better than like the Hornets and the Hornets are four and a half games I, ahead of them. Yeah. I, I think they're better than Boston. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think so they, do I. So it's when they like, start I, to get into form, they're, they're better than the other play in teams, but yeah, we'll I mean, see how the, that goes. The hole they dug matters. And that's the, that's what I'm trying to also say. It's like, you know, the season doesn't start zero zero right now. They, they have to still make up ground, which is the reason why I'm not still picking them to finish, you know, fifth or sixth in the East is because they dug a hole. Like there's, there's six games behind Philly for six, for the six spot right now. That's a lot to yeah. make up in 36 games. Like that's not impossible. We saw what Bucks did last year when they finished that, that kind of run, but that's right. the kind of run it would actually take to really be in the top six mix to actually miss the play in. Um, which is why we're talking about the play-in for the most part. And once you get there, anything can happen. Yeah. And the thing too, is like the, the East, even though there's more parity this year, there's not a juggernaut. So even if you get into, you know, the play-in situation where you're taking a top two team, you still have a chance on that kind of series. So that's why I think that if you can make improvements at the deadline at reasonable cost, I I still would be looking to do that. Even if you, you think you're likely to be a play-in team. It, it's very funny to hear us because neither one of us are, uh, you know, huge homers. I don't think that's, that's kind of our brands is to kind of be even keeled and not, and not do that in a lot of ways. And the Hawks right now are 12th in the East. And we sound like we're like talking about this really good basketball team, <laughs> but it's really true. I mean, it, they're very similar, at least when they're healthy, I think they yeah. can be a similar quality to the team they were last year. That, that doesn't well, mean there's a reason they were. Yeah, there's a reason they were projected to be, you know, the third or fourth in the East last, you know, this year. There's right. a lot of reasons why that hasn't come to fruition, but I also think that there's a lot on the table that, you know, can help them in the second half. Well, even as simple as this, and this isn't make, and this isn't gospel either, but especially when you factor in the COVID weirdness and they kind of lost like two weeks of games where they just were playing terrible rosters. All that said, there's there's 17th in net rating right now, like. That's they're ahead of the Knicks in that rating. They're ahead of the Clippers. They're ahead of the Lakers in that rating. They're ahead of the Wizards in that rating right now. And they're well, well, they're well behind those teams in the standings. But yeah, I think that they're just better than this. And even even after four games in a row that they've won, as we're recording this, and like they're going to be favored on Wednesday. They they I'm not saying they're going to win, but they they should beat Sacramento. Like that's a, at home. You should beat that. You should beat the Kings. Um, and if they can take care of business, like they'll be in fine position. And no, they're not. I'm not saying they're, that they're better than the Heat or the Bucks or the Nets, but like they're, I think there's a good basketball team in there. I mean, that's, that's not even like, that shouldn't like be breaking news. They, they just dug themselves quite the hole and now they have to get out of it. Yep, exactly. Um, 
I mean, that's kind of all I have. And we, we, we could do 20 minutes on Derek White, but we don't, probably don't need to do that. Um, I would, <laughs> by the way, I, I, I also like Derek White. Not as much, not as, much as Andrew does, but uh, if they can get Derek, Derek White for a reasonable price. If there's one team in the league, by the way, that's like impossible to figure out what they're going to do, it's the Spurs. So I have no idea what they would trade him for. I have no idea what his price would be. Uh, it's the and Spurs. they actually made an in-season trade this year, too. Yeah, they the Spurs, did, but it was so. like the smallest deal in the world. <laughs> yeah. So like, It was just funny they actually did one finally. Yeah. They finally did it, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> maybe it's a different regime taking over in uh, in San Antonio. But no, we, we've covered a lot of ground. I appreciate all this time across two parts. And again, if you missed part one, I encourage you to listen to part one about the trade stuff because uh, that was fun as well. Um, Andrew, feel free to add anything else that you would like. And if not, please plug all of your uh, stuff because uh, you are a great Hawks thinker and I appreciate you joining me. Well, appreciate you having me. Uh, it's always fun. Uh, it's been an interesting season, but I, I'm looking forward to the second half. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, you can follow me, A. Kelly, on Twitter, A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L-L. Hit me up. Have a good day. Yeah, check out Andrew's stuff. Again, I cannot emphasize that enough. You need more followers still. Um, so hopefully, hopefully we'll get you some more from this podcast. I don't know, what's, I don't know if that's going to – my bump <laughs> can take you all that Yeah, far, maybe we can get will, there, yeah. I will try my best to do that. Um, and I do, I do appreciate you, you joining me. Uh, I, I try not to bug you too much, but um, you're welcome back anytime you'd like. So invite yourself on the podcast if you want to uh, get anything off your chest. But in the meantime, we'll, uh, we'll call you back. If the Hawks make a big deal, I'm sure we'll talk about it as well. But I really appreciate it. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or elsewhere. Please leave five-star reviews if you enjoy the show. And most importantly, share the podcast with friends and family or other Hawks fans in your life if they enjoy it. Hopefully, they will uh, check us out and subscribe as well. But spreading the word does us a lot of good. And again, I want to remind everybody to, to follow Andrew's work. Follow this show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me if you'd like to at BT Roland. And we'll see you after the game on Wednesday.